Thank you, Kelly. Take your Bibles, turn with me this morning to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4 and verse number 8. I'm glad to see all of you here this morning, especially glad to see those of you that live elsewhere in our home this morning. And we're glad to see you today. Galatians chapter 4. Brother Brian did a wonderful job last Sunday of covering the first seven verses of chapter 4 and talking about the adoption of God. This morning I want to bring you a message that I've entitled, The Perplexed Pastor. We've already had people who asked me this morning, is that describing you or the Apostle Paul? Yes. We have all probably at some point come to a place in life where the way forward was so hard that we wanted to turn around and go back. Perhaps we tried to make strides in our career or in a relationship or in our walk with the Lord. Yet in doing so, things got harder rather than easier. Then it dawned on us to go further would require more of us than we wanted to give. And so we glanced over our shoulder at the past and concluded that it would be easier simply to turn around and head back rather than to continue forward in the face of difficulties. This is, in fact, where the Galatians were. A group of false teachers that we call the Judaizers had come to Galatia. And they were teaching a faith plus gospel. And that is the belief that we're saved by putting our faith in Jesus plus something else. And in this case, the Judaizers, it was faith in Jesus plus circumcision and keeping the law of Moses. Paul had called them out on what he considered a very serious error, and the Galatians had taken his reprimand rather personally. This had resulted in an ever-widening gap between these former friends. Now, there are three reasons why this happened. First of all, the church's relationship was affected by the influence of these false teachers. These men have actively undermined Paul's apostleship, his message, and his ministry. And it is evident that many of the Galatians have come to believe the critics of the apostle Paul. Secondly, Paul's reprimand has caused a strain on the relationship. Paul has been very confrontational in the first few chapters of this letter. And the third reason for the tearing relationship between Paul and the Galatians was found in the Galatians themselves. It's a part of man's nature to take criticism or correction personally. And it seems ever so true if we are at fault. We have a perfect example, of course, in Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. You remember that every evening, Adam and Eve communed with God himself until, until the day 
that they sinned by eating the forbidden fruit. When they heard the sound of the Lord's coming, they immediately sought to hide themselves from God. Now, God hadn't done anything wrong. The wrong was done by Adam and Eve. Their sin had resulted in a separation. Now, Paul, in his relationship with the Galatians, wanted to heal this severed relationship by reminding them of the warmth and the love that they once shared and by revealing his tender feelings toward them. Paul refers to his readers in verse 19 using the term, my little children, an expression that we see often in the writings of the Apostle John But this is the only place that you will see the Apostle Paul use this phrase. Paul is not now speaking as a prophet, but rather as a parent, as a mother who watches in pain the growth of her child while aware of some signs of impending illness. Here's probably the warmest and most tender words of personal affection in all of Paul's letters. We begin in verse number 8 where it says, But then indeed, when you did not know God, you served those which by nature are not gods. But now, after you have known God, rather are known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage. You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid for you, lest I have labored in vain, for you in vain. In these verses, Paul asked them how they who have received the knowledge of the only true God can revert back to their old ways. Every pastor knows the heartache and the fear that comes when a member of the congregation wavers, stumbles, and even falls away. Paul clearly admits his fear of his labor has been in vain in verse number 11. But he doesn't take that failure of others as a personal offense. You know, it's very easy for those who invest their lives in others to measure their success in the ministry by the success or the failure of those to whom they have ministered. And because of this, they often take the failures of other people very personally. As Paul seeks to renew his friendship with these Christians, he reminds them of four kinds of friends. First of all, faithful friends, in verse number 12. Brethren, I urge you to become like me, for I am become like you. You have injured me not at all, You know that because of physical infirmity, I preached the gospel to you at first. In my trial, which was in my flesh, you did not despise or reject. But you received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. Look, first of all, at the appeal. He begins verse 12 with a very significant appeal. He urges the Galatians to become like me. Literally, keep on becoming like me. Now, Paul is not asking them to imitate him because he believes he's arrived. He believes that he's perfect, that he, is a, he has achieved sinless perfection. But he's, as he says in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, 
I want you to imitate me just as I imitate Christ. Now, there are many ways that men could imitate the life of the Apostle Paul, but this verse wants us to focus on one specific area in which he would like the Galatians to be like him. They are to imitate Paul in his freedom from the law. They know that how when Paul was saved, he renounced every bit of legalistic Judaism of which he had been a part. In appealing to the Galatians to become like him, Paul was really urging them to be themselves. You're Gentiles. There is no reason that you should become Jews in order to become Christians. He then reminds them of how deep and rich their relationship had once been. He says, so how could you now reject me when you have accepted me so readily before? Well, that was because of, secondly, the accusations that have been brought against him. And the false teachers have brought some very serious accusations against him. We read about them in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 21 and verses 20 and 21. It says, and when they heard it, they glorified God, and they said to him, You see, brother, how many myriads of Jews there are who have believed, and they are all zealous of the law. But they have been informed about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, saying that they ought not to circumcise their children, nor to walk according to the customs. These false teachers are trying to prove that Paul was a traitor to Jewish Christianity. They felt this way for several reasons. First of all, Paul had been a devout Pharisee. But when he became saved, he turned his back on that legalistic Judaism forever. Secondly, they also noted that Paul refused to see a difference between Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. To him, there were only Christians. Whether they were Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, it didn't matter. And finally, even Paul's lifestyle tended to give support to the accusations of those who opposed him. After all, Paul lived like a Gentile when he ministered to the Gentiles, And to them, the fact that he lived like a Jew when he was among the Jews only made Paul look hypocritical, especially to those who did not want to understand his work, his teaching, or his practices. He goes on to talk about the acceptance he had once enjoyed with them. And though there's a great deal of speculation concerning the nature of Paul's physical infirmity, That's listed in verse 13. There is no clear indication in scripture of exactly what Paul's ailment was. Some think that the illness caused very poor eyesight. Romans chapter 16 and verse 22 tells us that he dictated his letters. And then at the end he would write a closing greeting in his own hand and it was noted that it was always in large letters. What we do know for sure, which is all we really need to know, is this made Paul not only unattractive, but repulsive, so that the natural inclination of 
the Galatians would have been to reject him when he came to them. Now, the, uh, the utter repulsiveness of Paul's condition is conveyed by two very strong terms, despise and reject. Despise could mean to regard with utter contempt, or at least disregard. And the word reject is sometimes translated loathe, but is a rendering of a graphic term that literally means to spit at. To spit at in disgust. In biblical days, people <clears throat> would spit after coming in contact with a disease or an illness which was repulsive. Apparently thinking that there was some beneficial act, some beneficial value in doing that. So the act of spitting was often associated with that which was repulsive. Paul says that his initial visit to the Galatians was a trial to them. As it was a temptation to them not to accept him. To shun him because of his condition. In those days, sickness, illness was regarded as a punishment from God. It was a, certainly a spiritual test of the Galatians to accept someone coming, claiming to bring the message of God and yet having an illness or a disability. They could have despised and rejected him, but they did not. Instead, they received him as an angel. The word angel is merely the word angelos. It means messenger. They received him as a messenger of God, even of Christ Jesus himself. They looked beyond his illness and saw in Paul's preaching the truth of God. Faithful friends, though, became faltering friends in verse 15. When was the blessing that you enjoyed? For I bear you witness that if possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Paul reminds the people that they loved him so much that if it were possible, they would have given their own eyes to him. But obviously this once close friendship has been torn apart. That's what which was warm became cool and then downright cold. Paul's friends were not friendly anymore. They changed because of Paul's strong rebuke had hurt their feelings. So how do you speak the truth into the sort of situation that he had without making things worse? Have you ever found yourself trying to stop someone you cared about from making a foolish mistake? may have been a foolish choice, a dumb business move. It might have been a relationship that was bad for them. Perhaps you saw a friend starting being tangled with someone other than their spouse. Or perhaps that person wanted a divorce for a non-biblical, even trivial reason. Or you could see them slipping deeper and deeper into some kind of substance abuse. If you tried, then you know that it is not always received gratefully. Martin Luther, many, many years ago, wrote, It is the role of friends 
to admonish freely if we go wrong. And when we are thus admonished, if we are wise, we are not angry with our friends for telling the truth, but we thank them. We often see that truth produces hatred in the world and that anyone who speaks the truth is regarded as an enemy. But it is not like that among friends, much less Christians. Whatever it is that you saw and you tried to step in and help, you realize there was a problem. You wanted to save them from making a terrible mistake. To make matters worse, you could not or they would not see. No matter how much you talked or pleaded or reasoned with them, they just didn't get it. And I suppose all of us have been there. Whenever you get in that situation, two things generally happen. The relationship is strained and passions rise on both sides. The conversation may go like this. Stay out of my business. But I'm only trying to help you. If you want to help me, leave me alone. But I'm your friend. You're no friend if you're not on my side. I'm not your enemy just because I tell you the truth. That's precisely where Paul was with the Galatians. There is irony in what Paul says in these verses. He says that he had been warmly received because of the truth that he brought. And now he is being rejected for the truth that he brought. The very message that first created the bond of affection that they had for him was now causing a split with him. The Galatians should not think that Paul was now an adversary because he confronts them with the truth. They needed the truth more than they needed to feel good about themselves. So of the church in Galatia, some had fallen under the influence of the Judaizers and began to doubt the truth of salvation by faith alone. They had learned and accepted something else. They had accepted the bondage of legalism and rejected the gospel of grace. They had rejected the man who had been their beloved friend and began to treat him as an enemy. Let me just say a little aside about pastors here. Pastors who are faithful to the Word of God often tell people things they don't want to hear. The other side of that truth is sometimes we preach things that we would rather not hear ourselves. Pastors should not be judged by their ability or their appearance or their personality or their popularity, but they should be primarily evaluated by their faithfulness to the Word of God. Faltering friends became third false friends in verse 17. He says, they zealously court you, but for no good. Yes, they want to exclude you, that you may be zealous for them. But it is good to be zealous and a good thing always, and not only when I am present with you. Paul recognized the false teachers wanted to isolate the Galatian believers. He says, to exclude them in verse 17, are to shut them out. 
And this is the general practice of cults, both then and now, which is to cut their followers off from any outside influence, to keep them from talking with others. The false teachers wanted to entrap the Galatians in legalism. They're much like the scribes and Pharisees to whom Jesus said in Matthew chapter 23 and verse 17, 15, and you travel land and the sea to win one proselyte. And when he is one, you're making twice as much son of hell as yourselves. The false teachers, the Judaizers, they had a lot of zeal about their teachings. But Paul said it was the wrong kind of zeal. The Muslim holy days of Ramadan will end this week on August the 7th. Muslims have to be one of the most zealous people in the world. So zealous that they're willing to die for their faith. But just because you're zealous doesn't make it true. In verse 18, Paul discusses the age-old problem that some people behave differently when the preacher is present. Their vocabulary tends to be less colorful and their conversation seems to be less carnal. Sometimes when I go in a public place locally, I hear a rather loud, well, hello, preacher. Now, I figure that one of two things. One, they don't want to know what my name is, or they want to announce to everybody around them that the preacher's in the room. Invariably, though, it makes the preacher almost as uncomfortable as they are. But uh, regardless of their reaction to him, he was still, number four, a fervent friend. My little children, for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you, I would like to be present with you now and to change my tone, for I have, I have doubts about you. Paul truly loved the Galatians. <clears throat> he saw them as his own spiritual children, my little children. And he had agonized over them as he had pleaded with them to become Christians. And now he agonizes over them again for their spiritual growth. His passion was for them to become conformed to the image of Christ. It is the Father's will, according to Romans 8, 29, that we be conformed to the image of his Son. 2 Corinthians 3, 18, Paul tells the church at Corinth, We all, <clears throat> with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of God, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Interesting little side note in verse 20. Paul communicates something that we need to understand in this day of email and text. It's extremely easy to be misinterpreted when you cannot see the other person's face. Because the written word cannot communicate the tone of your voice or the expression of your face. The Apostle Paul says he wishes that he could be present with them so that they would not misunderstand him. Let me close by saying I believe that the passage shows us some 
important things about the relationship between a pastor and the people. First of all, it shows us the attitude the people in the church should have toward the pastor. Their attitude should be determined not by his physical appearance or his personality. Their attitude must not be determined by their own personal theological whims. Their attitude should be determined by his faithfulness to present the word of God. Secondly, this passage also shows us the attitude that the pastor should have toward his people. He must be willing to serve and sacrifice for his people. He must be willing to tell them the truth. He must love his people deeply, but never for selfish reasons. He must desire to see them in them more than mere excitement, but zeal for the right things. And he must desire to see in them Jesus, not himself. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the day. Thank you for each one that is here today. Thank you for our visitors. Lord, I pray we would make them welcome today. We thank you for your word. Even when it makes us uncomfortable, even when it touches that sore spot in our lives, we thank you for it because it is evidence of your love and your care for us that no matter where we are or what we've done, you never let go and you never give up. Father, I pray that we'd take the truths that we've heard this morning and make application in our own lives. I pray this morning that it would help us to be better in our outreach around us to our community and those in our life that see us and know that we are Christians. Father, if there's one here today that doesn't know you in a personal, intimate way, never surrendered their life to you, we pray that this might be the day, the day that they recognize that they're sinners and they can't save themselves, but that Jesus has already done everything necessary for their salvation. All they have to do is accept by faith that Jesus is who he said he was, that he went to the cross and he paid the penalty for their sins. And all they need to do is accept that free gift, repent of their sins, and turn to him. For those of us that know Jesus is our Lord, I pray that you'd help us to daily see ourselves more conformed into his image, to reflect him better in our lives day by day, that we might be a, a, white, a light in a dark and dying world. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me, please?